Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Bald Face Truth. I like to have good conversations about tricky topics. I'm not talking about the bird here off that I talked about off the top of the show. But I, I like to get in conversations with people who are experts in their field. And I like to pick their brains about what they see happening, especially if they've been at it a long time and endured changes. Uh, Tom Crean fits in that category. Former head coach at Marquette, where he coached uh, a whole bunch of great players and took a team to the Final Four. Dwayne Wade, Wesley Matthews, Blazer fans, you remember that. Went on to coach at Indiana. Then Georgia. His father-in-law, by the way, Jack Harbaugh. Ring a bell? That means the in-laws are the Harbaugh's. We have so much to talk about with Tom Crean, but I want to know, like, what he sees in college basketball. He's fresh off a stint at Georgia. Now he's looking at a game that includes NIL, transfer portal, all that. How complicated does it look? for a guy who has probably endured a lot of change in the NCAA and changes in the game. Changes in kids, for crying out loud. Tom Crean joining us. Where are you today, Coach? Uh, it's good to be with you, John. I live in Florida. I live just outside of uh, Sarasota, Florida, in Lakewood Ranch, Florida, so that's where I'm at. All right, so we're looking at the landscape of basketball, and I'm watching the portal, you know, 1,000 kids jump into the portal at the end of the year, and I'm going – Man, the coaches must be losing their minds or having, you know, adjust or die, I guess. But what do you see when you look at sort of how basketball, college basketball has changed? You know what I think? I think in many cases, it, there's no question that over time, uh, kids change. Everybody changes, right? I mean, it's just part of life. And uh, whether we're parents, whether we're coaches, whether we're players, whatever whatever you're doing, it's, it's, it's going to change. But I think the one thing that's hurt, for players in so many cases coming up the ladder is the expectations for the players and the expectations of, of how hard you have to work, what you have to get better at, how committed you have to be to being a teammate, uh, certainly dealing with adversity. You know, one of the things that I thought was really, really important in recruiting, and I always wasn't smart enough maybe to or didn't really realize this, when I first started out, but you really start to look at it and you recruit at your recruits and see, okay, who's actually had some responsibility. You're not, not taking the last shot in the game or being the cleanup hitter on a baseball team, but like who had some responsibility at a young age, who's had to be involved in some type of sacrifice. And so many times sacrifice is viewed as like a four letter word where it's really just part of life. And, and the problem is, is, so many things hold people back uh, from being successful. And a lot of times it's the demands that you put on them. And I think what happens when you get into college, a lot of times people are not used to uh, the expectations that are now there to, to, to do it every day, to, to go through that adversity, to, to be a great teammate, to it's just, it, it's getting harder. It's getting harder all the way across the board. And I think that's, that's got a lot to do with it. And then you throw in, the fact with the NIL, like you mentioned, you throw in the fact that it is so easy to leave and go somewhere else, and it and it kind of takes away unless you're unless you're really 
unless you're really ingrained in it, it it's really easy to take your fight away. And instead of having to fight through something, you say, you know what, I'll go somewhere else. But the problem is, you know, and, and this is where research gets so poor, I think, when people make decisions and, and who they take in transfers and, and, and when kids go to different schools. There does, it doesn't mean that you're going to be held to any higher standard or get any better uh, coaching or training or individual improvement when you go to another school, just like it doesn't necessarily mean uh, that those problems you might have had back at your other school in the locker room, those things are going to follow you along to the next school. And there's, it's so fast right now that there's so little research being done, and I think that hurts decisions on both ends. That's a great point. I I was talking to Dana Altman, the Oregon coach, about you know he had a hard he had a hard discussion with a young player. Player said, "Coach, I want to play in the NBA like Peyton Pritchard." And Dana said, "Well, you know, you got to get up at six o'clock in the morning, get into the gym. You got to do the weight training. You got to do the nutrition. Then you got to show up to practice. Then after practice, you need to stay late and shoot." And the kid nodded and then jumped in the portal. <laughs> you know, like I don't want to do that. I want somebody to tell me. Uh, how to do it, but uh, I, I don't want it to sound that hard. Can you be honest with kids, or do you have to be careful now? I don't. I don't think you can stop. I really don't because I, I think yes, you have to be tactful. Yes, you have to figure out different ways to say it. You've got to continue to use uh, examples. You've got to show video. You know, you name it. We could talk for an hour about the different ways you got to get it across. But at the end of the day, if you're not telling the truth there's going to be losers all the way across the board. You're going to lose. The person's going to lose. I, I think it's almost like this now. And I never had any one and dones until I got to Georgia. And I think I learned that, like, when you get somebody, like Cody Zeller was our first, when you get somebody that you know you're not going to have very long, you've got to speed the process up. It's, it's not a normal process anymore. Our, our player development has always been about, you know, getting people better, getting them comfortable, being obsessed with their weaknesses in the sense of if, if they couldn't go left, they were going to work really hard on going left or dropping the right shoulder, whatever it was. Well, now when you get somebody you know you're not going to have very long, you've got to speed that process up. And you can't go too fast, but you've got to go faster than you might like. And I think almost now, John, that's what it's like coaching. I think you've got to almost treat – Every player that you get inside your program, you may actually only have them one year. You may only actually have them two years. And you've got to give them every opportunity to get better, whether they want it or not. Because at the end of the day, it, it, they, you may do a great job with them, and there may be some crazy reason that you would have never thought of that they left. And, and there's so many stories right now with the, with, with the better players and the scariest thing that's going on with name, image, and likeness in the transfer portal is when you're a solid player or a good player, not even a great player, and certainly if you're a prospect, you know, where somebody sees that upside in you, there's potentially people shopping you to another school long before that season ends. Or, and long before it might be three weeks, long before it might be three months. And for people to think – that the players don't know that that's going on, that they're living in some vacuum, that somebody's just out there making calls to see if they can get a better NIL deal somewhere, or the agent's calling, and, 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 or the, somebody in the family is calling. It's crazy to think that that's not happening. And so what happens is that starts to just distract the player, which in turn is going to distract the team. 
So if you're not completely focused in on every day getting the most out of that player to make them better, you really don't have a chance. You don't have a chance to win. You don't have a chance to keep them at the end of the day because the person that doesn't want to work, you really don't want them anyways. I mean, that's what people forget. The portal is a two-way street. But the bottom line is you've got to, you've got to push players right now maybe even more than they want to because you've got to be able to help them understand what it's going to take. And if they leave, hopefully the seeds that you've planted in them carry on where, where else they go. And hopefully when you get somebody else in place that they had an idea of what a work ethic was all about, because at the end of the day, as much as this changes, John, and there's a lot of different styles of play, still what matters, you know, winning hasn't changed. You've got to be fundamentally sound. You've got to be tough. Uh, you've got to be able to be a teammate. You've got to be able, in the, in the case of basketball, you've got to be able to shoot the ball. You've got to be able to rebound the ball. You've got to be able to talk on defense. All those different things, none of that's changed, no matter what happens with NIL or with the portal. So the more that you can emphasize that on a daily basis, you give yourself and you give those players a fighting chance. Tom Crean is our guest, former Marquette, Indiana, Georgia head coach. More than 400 wins, a, a Final Four appearance. Um, you know, we in the tournament, this last tournament, we watched maybe some teams that had some continuity, had some upperclassmen go deeper into the tournament than expected. How important is age and experience compared to talent when you're talking about the Power Five level? Well, I think it's I think it's big, but I think the bottom line is this. If you're taking kids in the portal and, and they're older and they have a set way on doing things and they don't want to buy in and learn uh, what you're doing, if, if, if they've been in an environment where they've not been pushed, they've not been driven, maybe where the style of play is completely different, it can almost set you back. Because the one thing you don't want to do is you don't want to sign independent contractors. And it's really easy to look at all these situations now with NIL and the portal in that way. But, but you've got to get people that have still been raised to a degree on team, on fundamental basketball. And that's why UConn was such a great example. They've had some homegrown guys that they've built up. They went into the portal. They got a guy like Naheem Aline, who was extremely well coached at Virginia Tech. I know he's left to go to St. John's, but he was extremely well coached. Hassan Diara transferred from Texas A&M. He was extremely well coached. Joey Calcaterra coming from the West Coast. At one point in time, I was doing television throughout the season for ESPN. At one point in time, Joy was shooting 57% from three coming off the bench. Like, they really hit it well. But I think the number one reason teams like UConn won, uh, one reason Florida Atlantic continued to, to get better throughout the season and win, one thing that I think was pretty apparent with Miami, those teams got better during the year. And if you really look at it, and, that, and that's what I spend a lot of my time doing now, you know, with learning, preparing, you know, some of it's in the TV vein, but I want to get better as a coach every day. So you study these teams, you study the draft, and you see who's getting guys better and you see who's not. And the teams that can improve throughout the season have got the best chance. You know, things have to go right with injuries and all those different things, but the teams that can continue to improve they're giving themselves a chance to play in to March. And I think that no matter how you're recruiting, you've got to be able to make your team better during the season. Yeah, it's hard for me to compare kind of what you did at Marquette because you did it at a time when you didn't have the portal. But certainly you had guys like Dwayne Wade and Wesley Matthews 
who were fantastic players. What went right at Marquette for you? I was there. I covered that Final Four, and it was special. What went right, and we had our Final Four reunion this past year, so this past August we had one, and then they honored the team during the season. That team, that team grew so close because, because they, they grew to the point they wanted to see each other be successful. They could forgive each other when something went wrong. Uh, they got along. It wasn't like they didn't fight, it, it, but it didn't last. It didn't linger. There, there weren't hard feelings that continued on. It was just like any other team. And I think what happened is that set the, the tone for us in, in recruiting is we built it up like get guys that, that, that it, it's not about do they fit a certain metric, do they have a certain size, it's about will they compete? Do they want to be teammates? Uh, do they have an open mind to getting better? I mean, certainly you have to have skill set, but that stuff is so important. I mean, Wesley Matthews was the starting guard with a, with a young man named Jarrell McNeil and Dominique James. We were picked to finish 12th in the league, I think, that first year in the Big East. We had Steve Novak, who played 11 years in the NBA. He was a senior. That team finished fourth in the league, got a first-round bye in the Big East, and we started three freshmen all year. Wesley missed a, just a couple of weeks with an injury. But that team learned the hard way what, what, what was going to be needed physically to win in that league, but it already had this high level of competitiveness. It had this desire to see each other be successful, and, and, and they wanted to prove something. They didn't want to just prove that they – were individually the best. They wanted to prove that they could do something together. And I think we had a lot of guys at Marquette that were excellent teammates. And we had the same thing at Indiana in many cases after we were able to build it up again. Those guys wanted to be successful, but they also wanted to see their teammates be successful. And that's such a huge ingredient if you're going to keep winning in any type of program or in any type of season. I thought it was really interesting just a couple of years ago that, you know, you saw some programs that really struggled, and it was amid you, – you basically had a recruiting cycle where you were having to recruit via Zoom. How hard was it to mm-hmm. kind of gauge whether – you know, you talked about those guys that want to be part of a team, want to want, want their teammates to be successful. How hard was it to gauge that stuff when you couldn't get face-to-face or see them play? Well, it hurt us. It hurt, it hurt me at Georgia big time. We're coming off my second year. Um, we, we'd set for two years in a row, we set the attendance record at Georgia. We had Anthony Edwards, our second year. Uh, we had just, uh, won the first game in the SEC tournament and then everything got shut down the next night. And so we went to recruiting periods where it was basically nobody on campus and all just recruiting through zoom. And you, there's just no way. And I love studying videotape and would study it, you know, morning, noon and night, but it just doesn't do the justice to getting to know somebody, watching them uh, with their team, watching them when it's going right, watching them when it's not going right, watching them on the bench, getting a chance maybe not only if you can get in their home, great, but to see them in school, to get around, you know, how they learn, how they pick things up, how they interact with others, sometimes just to go in there and observe. And, you know, that's one of the greatest things about the evaluations when you get to go watch people off campus is is just – just watch how they are. I mean, just watch how they are with the refs, the assistant coaches, the guys on the bench, what's their body language like, you know, all those different things. But really getting to know somebody 
and then getting them on your campus where you can spend time with them and, and sit there, it wasn't even close. I mean, it, 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 it was hard. And I think that's one of the things you're seeing across the country. That's one of the reasons there's been so much transferring and things of that nature, because there were mistakes made on both people's parts. There just wasn't the connections and the fits that you needed to have. And that's what I get most fearful of moving forward now is that you got to try to get to know somebody and it's so hard. You've got to be able to look at, is this person open-minded enough to change? Because, because if you're not willing and, and don't have a desire to, to, to get better and to buy into the changes that you have to make and to put the work behind it, you're not going to be successful. And, and it's, it's that way in any walk of life, but it's certainly that way for 18 to 22 year olds in college sports. Did you ever recruit a kid you thought extremely talented kid, but I'm just not going to take him. I don't like his body language or I don't like, I don't like how he talks to his coach or his teachers. I got off a kid one time that ended up being a really good NBA player because I didn't like the way he talked to his mother. I mean, it, it, I was raised by my mom. So like it embarrassed Mm -hmm. me how he talked to his mother. And was I wrong? I wasn't wrong in my mind at the time. Did the person yeah. end up having a good career? He absolutely did. But, oh, there's no question. There's no question. You, every time, and I tell, I've got two guys that are at Oregon now, and Brian Fish and Chuck Martin that worked with me either at, at Indiana or at, at uh, uh, Georgia. I mean, so they've heard it. All the other coaches have, have always heard me say this. When you get away from trusting your instincts, you know, and Tony LaRusso has got a great line about instincts. He said, instincts are an informed feel. So, like, when you're doing this, like, if you are really, really studying what you do and you've got a feel on it and, and, and you get away from that, I am, I am batting about uh, 150 on, on my instincts when not – and my instincts being wrong mm. and somebody really turning out to be good. Yeah. And and it took a lot of work to get to those places, but I think that's what happens. And you got to trust your instincts. Sometimes you're going to be wrong. Sometimes you're going to be right. But you got to do everything you can do to trust it based on what is most important for you. And and I think that's that's crucial. Tom Crane, our guest, uh, took Marquette to the Final Four. He's been at Indiana, Georgia, assistant coach at Michigan State with Tom Izzo. Uh, Judd Heathcote as well. But let, let me ask you this: uh, You know, you've got a lot of parents who listen to the show whose kids are playing club and you know the messaging is you got to play year round you need to play a bunch of games you need a you need private training you need a strength coach what do you say to that i think you need a little bit of everything i'll I'll use basketball as an example if you're gonna if you're gonna have a personal trainer which is there's nothing wrong with that there's some excellent trainers well if i'm a parent here's what i'm finding out i'm finding out what are they doing not only for their strength training what are they doing for their athletic Ability. What are they doing for their flexibility? What's the plan for their feet and ankle? Okay. What are they What are they doing to make sure they have lower body and hip mobility, shoulder flexibility? What are they doing to make their hands quicker? You know, all those different things. No matter what sport you are, they're all the same. You've got to have that that quick twitch, and it's not always about it's natural or this is what this person has. You've got to have people that will help build your athleticism. And I think that is so important. And then in the personal training aspect, it's not just about what your son or daughter do with the basketball. Okay. Or just, it's not just about that. It's about, can they move without the ball? Do they understand putting? Okay. Those are the kind of things that are, that are crucial. Can they move their feet? 
Do they open up every time somebody starts to drive them? Uh, can they drive into a gap and not turn the ball over because they dribbled the ball so softly? And and this is a huge one, John. And 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 looking at the draft and and looking at there's going to be kids that are going to go in the top ten that they really can't play on the other side of their body. They're so right hand oriented or they're so one side of their body oriented that the first time you put that ball in the left hand and they've got to go make a finish or they've got to go into traffic, it's not even close. And I think it's it's like finding people that will teach them how to be complete players. I've never been a believer in year-round for one sport. I think you can look around the NFL and see the numbers that are there. You've probably seen them in the past. I mean, they're in the the high 80s, uh, mid-80s, somewhere on people that played multiple sports in high school. And I just think it's crucial that you get, to me, it's the athletic training a lot of times, more so than just the basketball skill development. But being in an area, because because ultimately for people, especially for high school kids, to get recruited the way this portal is, you've got to be able to play the game, okay? It's not just about you might be a great shooter, okay, so you could get recruited or be on your team because you're a great shooter. There's always going to be room for those people. But more often than not, you've got to have multiple skills. You've got to be able to play both ends of the court. You've got to be able to rebound it with two hands. You've got to be able to be physical. You've got to be able to do two things at once. You've got to be able to play, again, I say it, you've got to be able to play on both sides of your body. You've got to be able to drop your left shoulder to go right, drop your right shoulder to go left. You've got to have all that. And I think there's too much isolation skill on what you do with the ball, strength training skill to get stronger, okay, and not enough well-versed, all-around, all-encompassing type of development, especially for the kids that are preteen and young teen. It's just crucial that they get that kind of development. And 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 that's how they're gonna that's how they're gonna gain confidence. I mean think about this. So many guys went back to college this year or, or, or that thought they were going to go in the draft or may be in the draft now and aren't going to get drafted that are big guys. They can't handle the ball. Okay. Maybe they can shoot, maybe they can't. They struggle, struggle making passes, especially off the dribble. But most importantly, they can't guard smaller people. They can't guard quickness. And so much of it is not just technique. So much of it is athletic training. And it's being able to move your feet and play in a short space and do all the things that, that make a difference. And so parents have got to be really locked into, is my son or daughter, are they actually getting trained on numerous things that a lot of times don't have everything to do with the ball. People may not know, uh, Tom Crean, our guest, is married to Joni, who is a Harbaugh. Uh, you mm-hmm. met her when you were at Western. one by far. <laughs> you met her when you by were at Western... Yeah. Western Kentucky. Her dad, legendary. Brothers, obviously, at Thanksgiving. You guys are talking about coaching and whatnot, but... What is that like? What was that like for you dating her and then, you know, married and you're introduced to the rest of the family? Well, the dating, the dating part, it went through stages, right? Like the first time you're nervous because (laughs) her dad's there, he's the coach at Western Kentucky and I don't want to make him mad and I don't want to do the wrong thing. And so you go through that. And then I met John and Jim basically at the, at the same time when John ended up getting married to his wife, Ingrid, they got married in Cincinnati and I met him, and then I met Jim. John was a lot easier uh, to convince than Jim. You know, Jim 
Jim was always, John was always Joni's protector. Jim was probably always the instigator that when push came to shove, Jim was going to make sure that he took care of his sister. They both did. They're both unbelievable brother-in-laws and been, you know, great to be in that family. But those were nerve wracking days because, because especially growing up in Michigan, you know who Jim Harbaugh is. And so um, I was very conscious of that. But we've grown through all of that. We've been married 30 years now since May 29th, and it's an incredible family to be in. But those guys are such great leaders, and and you talk about guys that have a pulse of their team. They have an ability to deal with all kinds of different people, all kinds of different situations, but they never let what wins and what's most important to winning drop. They don't let it drop with the coaches. They don't let it drop with the players. They don't let it drop in the organizations. At one point, it probably cost Jim his job at San Francisco because he was so adamant about what it would take and what kind of players were needed to be successful and, and what kind of organization and, and, and transparency you had to have to have that. Like, those guys are so good at that, and I've learned so much from being in that family, or being in his family, I should say. Yeah, you, I I think college basketball needs you. I, I you know I keep thinking like would Tom Crean ever take a you know assistant job in the NBA and do what some other guys have done? I know Kelvin Sampson did that and then went back to college. But I think the college game needs you. You, you want to coach again? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I just want to get. I think I want to get in the right situation. I mean, it's just you have to, you have to be supported, right? Like it, you just have to be. And I I think there's a lot of things I'd like to do over from being at Georgia. You know, COVID was certainly part of that. Having an athletic director, you've got to be lockstep and barrel with them, and, and you've got to go through things. I mean, we were in a more of a rebuild there, I think, than I realized, than anybody else realized. And the athletic director decides he's going to retire, you know, after two years. And when you get in those type of situations, it's really rough, I think. So for me, I want to get into a situation where the support is there, where it's administratively together and and where they they care about winning and where it's it's uh and now i think because of the nil you know where there's a chance to have the support and and that that it's gonna and then it's gonna end up right right not a place for nil where you make all these promises that never get handled i i was talking to a guy uh mid-major level he lost players that probably were close to guarantee or offered a million dollars uh, when you look at all the players and you combine all the money uh, when they left. And when when it was all said and done at the end of the year, they didn't get half of that. In fact, I mean, the scariest thing is uh, people look at it being pay for play. Sometimes you don't get paid if you don't play. And, and that's the scary part of college sports right now that you've got to work through. And in the sense of like, okay, all of a sudden one of these kids wasn't playing uh anymore wasn't playing as much anymore his money was gone you know like that type of stuff i don't want to be in that environment i want to i want to keep looking at it i enjoy the television i enjoy the learning and getting better at every day but there's no question i want to coach again we got to get you in the pac-12 i miss the daily yeah i'd like to see you in the pac-12 yeah yeah Yeah. i think i think you do well there tom crean thank you you're spitting truth uh i appreciate you coming on with us we'll bring you back on when the season approaches Anytime. I appreciate it, John. You're doing a great right. job with that. You've got a lot of respect in, throughout the country and certainly with what you're doing with your writing and, and, and in that area. So thank you for having me.
Thanks, Coach. Appreciate that. Tom Crean, there he is, uh, former assistant, longtime assistant at Michigan State. He was there. I was covering the Big Ten in 1998-99. He was on Tom Izzo's staff. You may remember Mateen Cleaves and those teams that uh, went went a long way. He ended up at Marquette, took a team to the Final Four. It was fun to see him take that team on a ride with Dwayne Wade and later Indiana, then Georgia and the SEC. If you missed any of that interview, grab the podcast. A lot of truth there. Leave it here. Really good stuff with Tom Crean, former Indiana Marquette, Georgia head basketball coach, and uh, love the love him talking about the Harbaugh family. Starts dating his wife Joni in college. Her dad happens to be the head football coach and legendary at that. Um, Stephen, I want to unpack that a little bit. I thought there was a lot of wisdom in there. Um, I've known Crean for a long time. I. I covered the Big Ten in 98-99 when Bobby Knight was at Indiana, and when Crean eventually ended up at Indiana, we kind of reconnected and uh, have stayed in touch with him over the years. But, you know, I have called upon him numerous times when I'm working on things or writing things and um, and uh, need just some depth to to draw upon. And I thought he hit on something very early in that interview that is interesting. You have an NIL transfer portal system that incentivizes or rewards individuals right there's you know it's a selfish decision to jump in the portal and i'm not i'm not like tainting that as like completely negative you have to do what's best for yourself but that's selfish by its nature and so kids who are jumping into the portal looking for more nil money leaving good situations may not be the kinds of kids who are happy for their teammates and happy to be part of something bigger than themselves. Like, you know, there's there's a conflict there. Well, he's a, you can tell he's a culture guy, right? And I think that speaks so highly of what we've talked about with Oregon State football, where those guys seem to be, whether it's the coaching staff or the players, they're hanging in and they're going to stay with the culture, stay with the Beavers. And you're right because he's talking about that, you know, you don't necessarily want to just go out in the transfer portal and get these guys. It's not going to work. It's not going to work every time. It can work, and it can work out great, but a lot of times it's not going to work because these guys are looking out for themselves, and they're looking out to get as much money as possible, and it's not about the team. And especially in a game like basketball, John, like there's so many little things that you can do on the court besides scoring the basketball or rebounding the basketball that helps teams win, and he talked about that. Like People just don't necessarily do the things that are winning plays anymore. They're not cutting to the hoop. They're not making you good, you know, not boxing out. They're not doing the little things that help teams win. And when you're looking at NIL, everybody just wants the highest score or the guy who gets the most rebounds or the most assists. That's what matters. And I think for a guy like him to come out and say that, you know, with such a name in college basketball, I think that's great. Like to put that message out there, he's just spitting facts of like for young kids that are listening, if you're listening and want to be a basketball player, learn how to go left-handed. Learn how to cut to the hoop. Learn how to do the little things because these coaches do notice that, and those are the type of things that help you win basketball games. And also help you, you know, maybe play above your talent level because, you know, he was, again, talking about the NBA. Once you get to the NBA, you've seen it, it working for the Blazers. Like, all of those guys are freaky athletes. And so if you, don't, if you aren't a complete player, uh, it's not good enough. At that level, or or maybe it's not good enough for you to be a draftable player at that level if you're not complete. And you know you can, you know you may have athleticism that limits you, but be the most complete player you can be. I just every time I hear good coaches talking about, hey, what makes a good team or what makes a good player, I always in the back of my mind sort of apply it to life. 
to like your family, if you're a listener, yourself, if you're a listener, you know, can can you be a complete person? Can you work? Are you willing to work on your weaknesses or do you just get into the gym, so to speak, and and do the things that come natural and easy to you? And, hey, I'm really good at that. I don't need to be good at the other things. I also thought it was interesting, Stephen, when you were talking about recruiting and I asked him, you know, you know, have you ever seen uh, recruited a player and not like the way he talked to a teacher or didn't like his body language? He says there's an NBA player. He stopped recruiting because he didn't like the way the kid talked to his mom. And that's great. I, I love that. You know, show some respect for your parents and, you know, that kind of thing. I think it goes a long way. It's not that you can't win with those guys, you know, because basketball is different than off the court than on the court. But, like, you know, he, he at least has some type of standards and he holds it. It goes back to the whole culture thing, John. Like, I, I just love it. I love everything that he had to say in that interview. And you're talking about, you know, when it comes to the NBA, there's two things I took away from my time working working with the Blazers. And the first one is when I was asking their scouts what they think about shooting, it's they go, I think everybody can learn how to shoot. And I think that's what Tom Crean's talking about. If you want to put in the work, you can learn how to shoot basketball. If you're that good and that talented, everybody in the NBA is that talented. It's just, can you put in the work? And the second one is, can you adapt your role? Because your whole life, you've been the best player on your high school team, your college team. Now you're going to come to the NBA and be a role player. Can you change the way you play? It's the hardest thing to judge. And Tom Green hit on both of those things. Like that, That's what everyone's looking for. And I, I just would love it. I would love to see him, like you said, in the Pac-12 coaching somewhere so I can uh, be watching him night in, night out coaching. This afternoon, a little bit of a bombshell dropped. His Oregon State uh, assistant coach, Tim Shelton, resigned. He apparently resigned on Friday. Uh, he had been with Oregon State just uh, since May of 2022. Uh, Tim Shelton is the son of Lonnie Shelton, Oregon State great, but Tim Shelton resigned. I guess you know it's not unusual, but it was the it was the reason he gave that caught everyone's attention. He um, he said he cited the lack of an NIL presence at Oregon State for him leaving. He said that the current roster of players at Oregon State is uh, it's not the type to have their hand out looking for NIL money. But he said that uh, he's competing against other schools. The competition is real. He said it's about retention. He said, uh, you know, maybe we didn't get those kids because of money, but we need we need to be able to retain them. He said he believes in Oregon State's leadership, but um, he said, quote, you're like, man, are we going to get lapped before we can get in the race? I don't think Oregon State's never going to do it. Maybe it's not even as bad as I'm saying. Maybe I'm saying from the perspective of, as a young coach for the majority of my career, this is what I'm going to have to navigate to be successful. But he's basically pointing at Oregon State's NIL collective and saying they're not doing enough. We can't compete. Meanwhile, Oregon State has issued a statement. Uh, Oregon State uh, AD Scott Barnes said, quote, we are aware of outgoing assistant coach uh, Tim Shelton's move to Colorado State. That said, we disagree with his sentiments regarding NIL as it pertains to Oregon State and the ongoing efforts made in this space. Um, they, uh, Barnes goes on to say that Oregon State has some dialogue with state legislatures and the NCAA. Wayne Tinkle, the coach at Oregon State, who ultimately is going to be the guy who ends up holding the bill if the collective isn't doing its job, he said, quote, we know our administration and collectives are working hard and they've done a lot to bring our NIL initiatives a long ways to take care of our current student-athletes and to help us on the recruiting trail. Um, end quote, uh, you know, it goes on to say, hey, we're doing everything we can do, blah, blah, blah. 
But um, really interesting movement there. And, look, I'm looking at Oregon State basketball. They needed a big offseason. I don't really think they got it. But what they did do is they retained Jordan Pope, who a lot of people thought might jump in the portal and leave. So I want to give them that. Like, they've held on to Pope to this point, best freshman in the conference. So I want to give a little bit of credit to Oregon State. But I, I, you know, Shelton's right. You're not, they're not making hay in the portal right now. Can they win without making hay there? Well, and they, speaking of that, they kept Jordan Pope, great player, but they did lose Glenn Taylor Jr., who was one of their other better players, averaged over 11 points a game as a sophomore. Like, they lost those guys. They lost Deshaun Davis, their point guard of the year before, who was, you know, 10 points, five assists to Mississippi State. It's not the first time they've lost these guys, and I think it's going to be tough for Oregon State. That's got, if you're an Oregon State basketball fan, you hate to hear that Tim Shelton leaves and he's siding because of NIL. Like it just seems like any time a good Oregon State player is going to pop through, he's going to leave them, and you're not going to win, especially in the Pac-12 the way it is. I mean, you got to invest in basketball. You're going to have to invest some money, and if they're not going to do it, they're not going to win. Yeah, and I, I think Oregon State facing a really important season with Wayne Tinkle and. And, uh, you know, last season, of course, I think the only reason that, you know, he came back was they owed him they owed him too much money. Right. Like this. It was just it was uh, an abysmal season last year. They've got to do better than, you know, 11 and 21. They were three and 28 the year before. Um, big step forward this next season or it could get ugly. At <laughs> We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Face hey, Sorry Truth to interrupt Water. the podcast, but if you want to listen to more of the Bald Face Truth Radio Show, including more of this segment that you're listening to, make sure you subscribe on SoundCloud and iTunes to the Bald Face Truth Radio Show. Thanks for listening.